Today we continue this series that we titled Rooted in Christ, examining the book of Colossians, unpacking what it means for your roots to run deep in Christ's power, to run deep in Christ's wisdom at work in your life. Last Sunday we looked at probably the single most compelling passage written on Jesus' divinity and Jesus' supremacy as the Son of God. It's in the middle section of Colossians 1, if you didn't catch the message, but it's this phrase that begins this passage where it says that He being Christ, that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Paul is describing, Paul is, Paul is referencing the incarnation of Christ, God becoming flesh, the image of the invisible God. And what Paul is trying to underscore through his teaching here is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. You see, as relatively new believers in Colossae, this group that he writes to, and of course us indirectly as a part of Scripture, these relatively new believers, they could easily fall prey to false teaching. And the false teaching that ruled the day, and we've referenced it the past couple of weeks, was known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism essentially said, Jesus isn't enough. That Jesus isn't enough, and because of that, you need to add some more things to it. Jesus isn't enough. The Gnostics would say you have to have this special knowledge, or what they would even refer to as this secret knowledge. It would be a mystery until you could discover it. And Paul writes this letter to remind his audience that real mystery is found in none other than Jesus Christ himself. We bow your heads with me as we pray. God, we so thank you for this time to gather. Lord, in the midst of this pandemic that we continue to walk through, and while we take every precaution that we can, we just don't take for granted, for sure, the opportunities to gather. So, Lord, as your church gathered today, in some ways as your church scattered, as many are watching online or down in the watch party, God, may your spirit just reside with us in those places and speak to us in a powerful way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, if you have your scriptures or if you have a device to look it up, albeit probably not with Wi-Fi in this spot. Colossians 1, starting in verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now pause right there. Let's be reminded that the apostle of the apostle Paul's calling and his ministry. And let's clearly be reminded, if you don't know Paul's journey, know that his calling and his ministry are marked with suffering. They are marked with suffering. In the book of Acts in the New Testament in chapter 9, we find Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus when it says in verses 15 and 16, and let me give a little bit of context, 
Paul, Saul, who he was at that time, Saul had gone through this dramatic Damascus Road conversion. And upon that confession of faith, if you will, the Lord calls on a man by the name of Ananias. And he says to Ananias in Acts 9, he says, I want you to go to this place where Saul can be found. And I want you, in essence, to, to minister to him, to speak to him on my behalf. Now, Ananias, to say the least, was a bit reluctant because he knew the reputation of Saul. He knew that this was not someone that he would likely want to seek out. If anything, Saul would be the kind of person to find him, for Saul was known across the region as one who persecuted Christians. But here's what the Lord spoke to Ananias in Acts chapter 9. He says, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And here's the statement. The Lord says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Friends, fast forward. Here in Colossians, we have Paul having suffered greatly over the course of his ministry and life to this point. Now under house arrest, for this is one of the prison letters, one of the four, and he is preaching and ministering to the Gentiles. He's fulfilling the very thing that was told of the Lord to Ananias in Acts chapter 9. In our Western world, we can easily become insulated to the suffering of so many. The suffering of so many for the very faith that they hold in Jesus Christ, something that oftentimes is so easily taken for granted here in our Western world and in the freedoms that we enjoy. Oftentimes the extent of our perceived suffering, and I think it's important to qualify it as such, that the extent of our perceived suffering is maybe an inconvenience or maybe some sort of unexpected circumstance like a pandemic, let's say. Sometimes our perceived sense of suffering is far from the suffering that happens in our world for people who proclaim the name of Jesus. And what Paul says here is he says that true faith costs you something. True faith costs you something. Being a co-laborer with, with Christ requires a level of sacrifice. Spiritual maturity, being rooted, if you will, to borrow the title of our series, is not simply settling in to a Christian life, and or it's not simply being comfortable with your circumstances related to your faith at all times. We must recognize that how we often view suffering from a Western mind is slightly different from the suffering that goes on in our world, and we should note that and keep that in mind as we read Paul's words here. So let's continue with our text here in Colossians 1. Picking up in verse 25, Paul writes, and he has just continued from this phrase, sharing in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. We pick up in verse 26. Paul says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me 
to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known, yes, among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's what we must recognize when it comes to mystery. The real mystery, Paul says, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, to the Gentile, those who are outside of true faith, for they were not of the Jewish people, they were not of God's originally chosen people, as it was understood, to the Gentile, this would have been previously unheard of. Statement of Christ in you. The hope of glory, what Paul is communicating, is that unlike most mysteries where you're just left in the dark to wonder what exactly has happened, who did it, what happened, where is it, to those kind of mysterious questions, Paul is communicating to these Gentiles, and he communicates to us that unlike most mysteries, that when it comes to the mystery of who Christ truly is, and Christ in you, that none of us have to be left in the dark. As followers of Jesus, we are recipients of that mystery of Christ dwelling in us. But you and I are not only recipients through the Holy Spirit of God living within you. If you are a follower, a professed follower of Jesus Christ, if you surrendered your life to Him, you're not only a recipient of the Holy Spirit of God, but we are to be, in fact, communicators of this glorious mystery. Recipients, but also communicators who proclaim with their lives who Jesus Christ is, for he is living and is at work within them. Some scholars see verse 28 as the anger for Paul's entire message to the Colossian people. And he says this, He is the one, referring to Christ, He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, Paul says. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What does it mean or what does it look like to be mature in Christ? to be deeply rooted in Him and things that we must assess and take note and grow in ourselves, if we are to be mature in Christ, it first means that you, that you uphold Christ above all else. That you uphold Christ above all else. The Scripture says that you proclaim Him. And I would suggest, practically speaking, that that means that while maybe not audibly, but in, in every implication of what you do, that you're proclaiming Him in every action. You're proclaiming Him in every word that you literally speak. It is running through this Christ above all filter that governs your life. If you're going to be mature in Christ, it means that you're upholding Christ above all. Consider what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. 
In chapter 4 and verse 5, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, Paul says, that's what we preach, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? Well, beyond just upholding Christ above all else, as, as if that's not critically important as it is, the second thing is this, to confront difficult issues. To confront difficult issues. The scripture says admonishing everyone, and I would be quick to also say not only admonishing as directing admonishment to others, but also being open and humble of receiving admonishment. Now, admonishment is not really a word that we use very often, or at least it's not really in my vocabulary. Maybe you're smarter than I am and you use a lot of words with a lot of syllables. But admonish really means a warning or a caution. And so when we say to be mature in Christ is also confronting difficult issues, it means that we're also confronting with the truth of Scripture. Paul writes in to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, he says that all scriptures God breathed, many of you know this passage, and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. These are, is, these are the active work of admonishment. Confronting the difficult issues in a mature way is the sign of maturity in Christ. It's it's, just, it's addressing what we need to hear, not necessarily addressing what we want to hear, right? Some of the things that are difficult to hear are maybe some of the very things that we need to hear. And so we recognize that it's more of a need to hear than maybe a desire or a want to hear. But there's a third thing I see here, what it means to be mature in Christ. And it's that you don't just preach it, but you teach it. You don't just preach it, but teach it. We're not talking about pastors' role here of preaching now. I'm talking for every one of us. For everyone who's a follower of Jesus, that you don't just kind of preach it, but you're willing to teach it. The scripture says teaching everyone with all wisdom. See, I think simply defined, wisdom is truly knowledge applied. It's taking that knowledge, and it's not being puffed up with that knowledge, but when you apply that knowledge, I think that truly is the definition of wisdom. And when it comes to our lives, it's not just saying it, but it's showing it with your life. Talk is cheap. Anyone can say what they want to say, but your willingness to show it with your life really is a sign of Christian maturity. That you don't just kind of preach it to people, Right? But that you model and you teach it. Preaching is mostly done more in kind of the public setting. There's really not an exchange in preaching, whether generally in maybe this kind of setting, or I'm thinking about the person who thinks they're just going to kind of bullhorn it right out on the city corner, and they're just going to let everybody have it. If you're within earshot, you're going to hear this message. And I, on that note, I question greatly the effectiveness of that kind of approach, because I think the context of a relationship is most important, and that's why in our lives, being mature in Christ, it's not just kind of preaching it at people, but it's teaching, because preaching is mostly done in public, but teaching is both private instruction 
and personal counsel. Paul says, to this end, I strenuously, hardly say that word, strenuously contend. Other translations in your scriptures may say that I, that I labor. Paul says that I struggle. Here's what I know to be true about myself, and I'm sure it's true about pretty much probably all of us. We naturally want things to come easy. We naturally want, when it comes to spiritual maturity, we'd like to either A, have someone give us a formula for it, and thus if the formula doesn't work, then we're going to put the blame on someone else. Or the fact of the matter is we just may choose the path of least resistance. We want to take the easy route. We naturally want things to come easy. But I think when it comes to our maturity in Christ, the question that comes to my mind is, are you willing to struggle for it? Are you willing to struggle for it? Friends, the struggle is real. In Ephesians 6.12, and as Lori had seen my notes the other day, she said, hey, I'm actually referencing that scripture in the worship as well. I was like, cool. And, you know, that must be the Holy Spirit stamp on that we just need to hear this today. For we, many of us may feel that we're in a struggle, that we're in a battle of many sorts in our culture and our world today. But the struggle is real. The spiritual struggle is real. And Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against rulers and authorities and powers in this dark world. And so Paul instructs them in Ephesians 6, right? He says, put on the full armor of God. And he goes on to describe that important armor. Friends, as we grow in the word, as our feet are fitted with readiness, as we have the gospel of peace, and we are people who are both grace and truth people, as Jesus was also described, the maturity that we exhibit allows us to fully embody the full armor of God with both humility and Power. We can't do this on our own. It's about surrendering our weakness for Christ's strength. Let's wrap up. If you still have your Bibles open with the first few verses here, Colossians, our, our, our text goes through Colossians 2 5 today. So let's read those first few verses as we kind of put a wrap on today's message. Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea. For those of you who may not have the context, Laodicea was really only about 10 miles from Colossae. Laodicea was the church, one of the seven, that was implicated in the words of, in the, the revelation, in Revelation 3, when the people had the problem of being lukewarm. That is Laodicea. So just understand the context that there is some rebuke that later comes to the people of Laodicea because they're not, they're not hot or cold in their following of Christ. They're, they kind of sit in this middle space and kind of tell themselves that, well, I, I think I'm doing okay. I'm just going to dabble when I want to dabble and I'm going to kind of disconnect when I want to disconnect. Friends, that is not maturity. Paul says, I, I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal, and we're just going to kind of rattle these off for a minute, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart 
that they may be encouraged in heart. And that literally infers in the original language to come alongside. The reference is given as if it's a person who is carrying a heavy object. And when we are encouraged in heart, it's someone coming alongside and helping bear that burden. That's one of the goals that Paul had. But then we continue in this passage and it says not only encouraged in heart, but united in love. United in love in its original text literally means to be knit together. It's describing the unity of the body of Christ. But then Paul goes on to say, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. That complete understanding is the understanding that the, the more we love God and that we love others, the better we understand God's purposes and His ways. And Paul continues, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Again, Paul's reinforcing that the true mystery of it all is the powerful work of Christ in you. Let me finish that. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, Paul says, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Friends, this is what it means to be growing in maturity in Christ. Upholding Christ above all else. Confronting the difficult issues and struggles within our own lives and coming alongside others, helping them carry their burdens. Maturity in Christ also means that you're not just out there kind of preaching it, but you're willing to kind of teach it with your life. And you know, at times it might require words and at times it might not. As you grow spiritually, Paul says, may you be encouraged in heart. May you be united in love. May you have complete understanding. May you know the mystery of God. Who is Christ? The true mystery, Paul says, is the wonderful work of Christ in you. I simply ask you today, as you reflect and as you look at your own life, are you striving for and even struggling toward Maturity in Christ. That is God's desire for you. That is God's desire for us as a family. And while as a faith community we have opportunity to open the scriptures together, to learn together, you also have a primary responsibility in your spiritual growth. You can't simply abdicate that to a spiritual leader or to some learning community leader within the church, right? You have to take that responsibility for yourself. Paul has given us a wonderful framework to live by. I simply leave you with that challenge and to ask, what is God saying to you? And what would he have you do? Are you striving for and even struggling toward maturity in Christ? Friends, it doesn't always come easy. But we're always promised that God is at work within that. 
a holy God who is over all, Jesus Christ who is over all, that you may be rooted deeply in Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord God, today we acknowledge you as the one that is over all. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is now and who is to come. God, I pray that as your Spirit is speaking to us, that you would challenge us to surrender our lives to him, to, to you, to realize that the suffering that Paul experienced, that life in Christ, it does cost us things. And it does cause us to sacrifice. But Lord, in you, comes great gain in you comes great growth. That's my prayer for myself. That's the prayer upon each of us. Lord, may we hear what you are saying to us and may we move in the way that you are calling and leading us and growing us so that we may be deeply rooted in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.